Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Thomas Brandt, the Chief Risk Officer at the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board, or FRTIB. Thomas, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. We are having a conversation for a couple of reasons. One, uh, enterprise risk management is a continues to be a growing area of interest across the government. I think uh, as we talk about the pandemic, post-pandemic world, as we talk about supply chain and we talk about cyber, everything has a risk flavor to it. And you go now workforce, we have a risk flavor to it. So there's a lot going on. So let's start there at the very beginning. The uh, Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board is implementing risk enterprise risk management. I think you laid out some key priority areas, focus areas, uh, seven risk treatment plans. Let's go through how you're looking at uh, risk management today at, at the at the what we'll call the TSP. Okay, that's good. Yeah, and there's obviously no shortage of risk that the government is dealing with today. And of course, the uh, the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board is is not unique in having a number of risks that it's always looking to address. And I think you may know that I joined FRTIB back in December of 2021, having you know come from IRS. And so I have to give a shout out to my predecessors who put in place, I think, a really good, strong program at, at FRTIB. What we've been focused on in the last couple of years is really just continuing to mature the program. We've been updating our overall framework. We've been trying to refine our risk appetite. And as you mentioned, we've been continuing our focus on risk treatment and risk monitoring activities. And the risk treatment plans really are so critical because that's the steps the leadership and the agency takes to to get risks down to a level that's more within our risk appetite. Um, and of course, not surprisingly, one of our top risks is cybersecurity. I think that's a challenge that most organizations are faced with. And so through our risk treatment plan, we're able to work with the accountable party, our, our chief information officer, our chief information security officer to identify, you know, what are those actions we're going to take in the year ahead to try to get that risk down to a more acceptable level. But I think as you likely know, and, and, and in the federal community and, and other you know realms as well, the challenge with cybersecurity is the actions you take today are addressing the cyber risk we have today. But the cyber risk we're going to face three months, six months is probably going to be different. So that's something I think that's always a challenge we're factoring into our approaches is, you know, addressing the risk we know today, but also thinking about how is this risk evolving and what do we need to do to to plan and prepare for those changes in the future. You mentioned this idea of risk appetite, and it's not an uncommon term, but what is a risk appetite? How do you define that? And whether from your time at IRS or time with FR. TIB, how do you all kind of say, what? how much risk can we accept? Because you never get to zero. It's like cybersecurity, sure. right? It, or it's like weight loss, right? You're never perfect. Yeah, well, TSP is the great, great place to talk about risk appetite because all of our participants have an appetite for risk that informs, you know, where they're putting their investments. Are they, you know, risk averse and they've got a lot of their money in the G fund? Or they may be, you know, more open to risk and have a lot more of their portfolio in, you know, in the C fund. Uh, so, the risk appetite is really just uh, you know, an understanding of what's your comfort level with risk? How much risk are you willing to take or pursue in different areas? And I think what's so helpful and important about risk appetite is getting an understanding of where do different people within the organization sit with regards to their view on risk appetite. And of course, a lot of that's going to be informed on your role, on your background, but certainly as an agency and a leadership team, we want to have some consistency in our views towards risk appetite. So I think what's really helpful for organizations and leaders 
um, to have are those conversations around what's our risk appetite in these specific areas? What's our risk for cyber exposure, which probably is going to be really low? What's our risk appetite for innovation? We're probably going to be more open to taking some risk because that's, you know, associated with change. When we think about strategic risk or financial risk, you know, reputational risk, those are all areas where depending on the nature of your organization, you might, you know, you might land at a different point. The other, I think, real key point about those conversations is you can identify where there might be some, you know, variation um, or misalignment. And try to understand what's behind that and, and what information or what things can we do to try to get greater alignment in our views towards risk appetite as a leadership team. A lot of agencies are going down this path of understanding their risk. And, and it's, again, because I guess enterprise risk management has been around for quite a while, but really been focused on since, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, it's the rewrite of A123, A1 yes, yes. In 2017, 2016, yep, yep. yep. Uh, I remember I remember those days very well, yes. the good old days of, of Dave Mader when, sure. there was a, was, when there was an actual controller at OMB. Yes, that's don't, right. <laughs> don't get me on a soapbox, Tom. But my, my question really comes back to this idea that agencies have been understanding their risk for a while. You all have developed these treatment plans as well. Under, connect the dots between understanding my risk appetite sure. and then how do we treat those? Yeah, so I mean, you, obviously you need to make choices around which, you know, what's your response to risk going to be? There's some risk we clearly are going to accept. There's others where we may be uncomfortable with perhaps the the likely consequences of a risk should it manifest. And you'll oftentimes, you know, hear conversations around risk likelihood and risk impact as agencies are scoring their risks. And that's trying to understand, well, What's the likelihood that this risk is going to manifest? And if we go back to the cyber example, we all know all organizations are constantly, you know, being pinged and tested to see what their defenses are. So high likelihood that there's going to be an effort to, you know, to try to compromise organizations. And then, of course, impact. You know, if there was a compromise, what's the impact? And you can look at that across any type of risk that the organization is considering. But then you need to step back and, and of course, make trade-offs. And you, you don't have unlimited resources. So based on the severity of the risk were it to occur, your priorities as an organization and your mission, what are those risks that you want to have risk treatment plans in place for? And for our organization, any risk that scores out at a medium, high, or higher level results in a risk treatment plan. And my staff will work with an accountable party or the business office in, in identifying, you know, what are the actions we're going to take in the year ahead? What resources do we need? What are the dependencies? What are some of the key risk indicators that, you know, we're going to be looking at and tracking to help tell us, um, is this risk getting better? You know, is it getting worse? Um, and do we need to pivot and change course in any direction? And, of course, for us at the TSP, as you cited, we do have a board of directors. And so I do provide regular updates to our board on the status of our risks and also the progress we're making in our risk treatment plans. And, they will, of course, have questions and, and dialogue around, you know, how, you know, some of those risk treatment plans and, and where we're making progress and then areas where they might have some concerns. And I imagine each year or maybe even more often than each year, you're re-looking at that risk treatment plan and saying, OK, are, are these still medium and or medium, medium high or high? Or what's the dependencies? How has those risks changed? And do we need to rethink, OK, maybe move this one up and this, the other one down? Does, how often does that happen? Yeah, so, you know, we on a, on a regular basis, we're at least updating and reviewing our, our risk treatment plans on a quarterly basis. But I think any organization is going to have a mechanism to also address those on a more ad hoc basis. 
if something significant happens in the environment and if there's a significant change in our internal or external environment that's going to you know change the the way in which the risks might affect the organization or introduce new risks that you know may be a reason for us to to revisit our risk treatment plan you know i think about maybe something just to share an example of how this works and i'll go back to my time at irs you know we had a period of time where we one of our top risks there was around retention of our of our staff and in particular of new hires so you know we agencies invest a lot of time and resources in bringing new hires on board so if they are leaving in the in a year or two you know that's a problem and so at the time for us at IRS we were seeing that as a risk that new hires were were leaving within a year or two years and so working with our human capital office you know we identified some specific actions we could take to try to to address that retention issue um, adding mentors, for example, improving the onboarding process, having more check-ins with our new hires. And our key risk indicator there was what's the retention rate of our new hires at the one-year, the two-year, and the three-year mark. So when we were doing our updates to our leadership team, you know, we'd be sharing those metrics, and we could see over time how those retention figures did improve as a result of those risk treatments. So I think that's just a more maybe concrete example of how those those plans would work and how you can use things like risk indicators to track progress. Is that continues to be maybe the hardest thing about enterprise risk management is to get folks to understand that we're planning for something that may or may not happen. And I know there's a ton of priorities that are happening today, but if this happens, and again, cyber is always the perfect one, right? Yeah. How do you prove you stopped a cyber attack? Sure. Well, you can't, <laughs> yes. right? How you can't prove the negative. You can only prove the positive. I had this conversation just recently with the federal chief information security officer, Chris Russia, because very similar challenges of how to get Congress, how to get agencies yes. to really focus on zero trust and all those things. We could talk cyber, but but more broadly, how, what, what are those conversations you're having as the chief risk officer to say, yes, I know it's not happening right this moment, but if it did, wow, the pain, the world of pain we'd all be in. Yeah, that that, of course, is the biggest challenge for the risk profession, not just public, but in any sector, any organization. The challenge, of course, is if the organization is already consumed in some sort of crisis, their time and attention is being spent on addressing the crisis. And if they don't have good risk management practices in place, they don't have controls, they're not doing assurance, they're not you know, having compliance, then there's a likelihood that they're in this continual sort of firefighting mode of always putting out the next fire. And then, of course, the answer you get back is we don't have time for risk management because we got to address this issue of the moment. And the and then the the challenge is trying to get you know some the year of you know the head of the agency or a leader to say look we're never going to get out of this cycle if we don't if we aren't deliberate and step back and say okay what do we need to do to shore up our defenses putting in place the risk management practice and giving ourselves the opportunity to try to get ahead right of that next crisis and be able to do something so that we either are able to prevent it, or at least we're better prepared if something does occur, we've got plans in place and we can be more resilient. But I think that's probably one of the most challenging uh, areas right now is in organizations that are probably not as far along or haven't adopted ERM. Uh, if you look at what's going on, they're probably in this cycle of constant firefighting. I hear the term resiliency so much nowadays, and I think that agencies are starting to say, what does that resiliency look like for us? Yes. How do we continue our mission, meet, meeting citizens' needs, meeting yep. business needs? Do you think that's a result of one? I'll give you a, a multiple choice, Tom, and you could say okay. all of the above, of <laughs> course. A, is it a result of mat- maturity around enterprise risk management, understanding it? B, pandemic, because things 
were so challenging during sure. the pandemic. Now they understand the resiliency piece much more clearly. Or C, is it we're all talking about it now. It's in the community. The vendors are selling resiliency. So therefore, we hear it at conferences. And again, D is all of the above. And I, sure. I know what you'll say. Well, it's a matter of which comes first, but I think there's a little bit of that each of those has played in that. I think See, certainly. That's, that's, right? why gave, that's why I gave you D, <laughs> yes, by the yeah, way, because you. I knew. <laughs> thank I, you. As I'm talking the question, I'm saying he's going to say D, but go yes, ahead. Yes. Well, I think we've we've always had the conversation around one of the value adds of ERM is it can help organizations be more resilient um, in addressing a risk should it, should it occur. Um, but maybe it was harder to per, perhaps convince people or show people concretely, you know, what that looked like until the pandemic hit. And then we saw, you know, right in front of us and all too real, um, those organizations that were able to pivot pretty quickly and adapt to changes in work environment and still be able to deliver their products and services, you know, in a largely remote environment. And then we saw other organizations that were more challenged in their resiliency. And I think, you know, we look at areas, and the IRS was an example as well, a heavy reliance on paper processes still. Um, and, of course, processing paper requires people to be there, right? And if you're sending all your people home, um, that's going to be a challenge. So, you know, today, of course, the IRS is now digital, digitizing and, you know, has this whole initiative into, you know, paper-free environment. Um, it would have been great if we were there before the pandemic, that would have boosted our resiliency. Um, but of course, the IRS is because you know you know all the budget challenges and other issues hadn't really been able to get ahead of that. And the pandemic, I think, just showed a, you know really a glaring example of those organizations that were prepared uh, to address risks and those that maybe were a bit challenged. But again, for a variety of reasons, and that was largely, I think, budget driven for IRS. Now, you joined the FRTIB in the middle of the pandemic. You, yeah. I think you mentioned. Uh, 2021 time frame. Yes. Did you walk in and, and you said they had a pretty good risk management uh, process or, yes. or, or what's the framework in place? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they had a pretty good risk yes. management framework in place. Yep. Talk a little bit about what you saw there and, and how things have kind of moved forward over the last few years. Just just from, a again, uh, the, the, the areas of maturity, the areas sure. of the pandemic and, and how things uh, are progressing. Yeah. And I know it's not fair really to compare the two agencies because, you know, IRS is huge and its mission, you know, take it's in all sorts of different directions. And, and for us at FRTIB, we really are fortunate in having a very singular mission about serving the interest of our participants and our beneficiaries. And really, I think, again, focusing on on the TSP itself. But what the organization had done, I think, is drawn attention to what are the different types of risks that, you know, our organization, the TSP, might face. Certainly shoring up our defenses in the cyberspace. I think many, many years ago, there were, you know, some audit findings that addressed, you know, areas of weakness within the agency and the ERM program, you know, partnering with internal controls, internal audit, really worked together um, to come up with an overall plan and strategy for helping the agency address some of those audit issues, address some of the other gaps, and really shore up, you know, the overall um, you know, uh, ability of the agency to stay ahead of risks and uh, to reduce those, you know, audit findings, to address compliance issues, and to provide, you know, assurance to the board and the director that, you know, the agency sort of has those things buckled down and we've got, you know, we're at a good place as the organization. But I, again, would give credit to folks who really saw the opportunity to bring those components together um, and help the agency sort of move past some of those challenges that they had, you know, I think several years uh, before before I came on board. I want to just take a half a step back. You mentioned this idea of risk treatment 
plans. You mentioned the idea of understanding the risk factors and then relooking at them at least quarterly, but maybe more often mm-hmm. as they come up. When you talk about putting measures together, sure. how does that work? Because I think that the biggest challenge is when you have a big agency like yep. the IRS, everything's a risk. You yeah. know, you go flooding the basement. Remember years <laughs> yes, ago, the IRS had right. you remember that when they do yes, and but but oh, cyber and then workforce, but then also as simple as the printer that we get our paper forms from runs out of paper, and that's yeah. a risk. Yes. So so how do you measure kind of the idea of, okay, how big of a risk is this and how do we measure our progress about mitigating it? Yeah. So, you, you know, again, this gets back to distinguishing between enterprise risk management, which is looking at addressing the most significant risk to the agency overall across, you know, all business areas, um, and then those that could really have the most significant impact on mission. But that doesn't mean we still don't have risk management activities occurring with all within all of our business units and functions. So at that level, they're looking at risks that may be more discrete and more contained within a particular program or service level, and they've got you know methods and strategies and, and things in place to address those risks. Through ERM, though, you know we're providing a capability to sort of look across all of those risks, and then working with you know uh, folks from the business units is to be able to then bubble those up the ones that are really most significant in the terms of the impact they could have on the ability of the agency uh, to accomplish its goals and its objectives. And then we've got a mechanism to really help, you know, bring resources and leadership attention to addressing those risks. So, again, ERM kind of complements other risk management activities within the organization. But what it also helps in, too, is uh, if agencies don't have enterprise risk management in place, what can happen is specific functions may take a step to address their risk. So cyber, for example, is going to implement something to in- increase the, the cybersecurity, but that may have a negative impact on the ability of the customer service component, right, to actually deliver service or to allow people to get into their accounts. So um, without having that ability uh, to look at what's happening in one area and how might the steps they're taking to address risk affect another part of the organization, you know, then they're, they're stuck with trying to address the fallout. Whereas I think ERM can really help organizations bring those pieces together and avoid kind of some of the upstream downstream impacts that would otherwise be happening. I think that's really helpful the way you just explained it. Cause I think people hear risk management and they're thinking, okay, what they're kind of me, how's that affect me? Right. And what you're saying is this is a we issue. Absolutely. Uh, in the sense of, yes, you should worry about your programmatic or your mission or your, your specific risk. But if someone's not looking across the board, yes, there's some downstream effects that unattended consequences that you may not know. Uh, and then, then that were, that's a good segue to the leadership piece because any good risk management effort has to have leadership. And you as the chief risk officer is, is front and center, but then you have support above with the board and the chairman. Talk a little bit about how you engage them. Talk about how you ensure they understand, because uh, some of those decisions, the prioritization has to come from them as well. Yeah. And I, you know, I've been really fortunate that the leaders I've worked with here at FRTIB and even at IRS, they've gotten, you know, they get it. So they understand the importance of of addressing risk. They understand that, you know, hiding problems doesn't make them go away. They don't get better with age. Um, And this whole notion that sort of everybody has a role. So uh, with our director or the commissioner when I was at IRS, always telling managers, employees that, look, if you see something, say something so we can do something about it, right? Um, But I think it's helpful to then have those conversations and, and get a sense of what keeps people awake at night, what keeps the board awake, what keeps the director awake, 
Um, and, and are there things that we can then do to help sort of address those concerns by demonstrating, you know, here's the risk treatment plans we've got in place. You know, here's the steps we're taking to try to reduce likelihood or reduce impact. And here's how the risk exposure that we expect to see at the, at the point at which we've implemented all of those actions, you know, this is where we expect to be. And is that within your risk appetite? Um, so, again, you are exactly spot on, though. Got to have leadership buy-in and leadership support. Um, and, again, it all comes down to this. We're all busy. There's a lot of other things we need to be spending our time on. And, and we can sometimes let risk slide if our leadership is not saying this needs to be front and center for us. Maybe put that up on my wall. Uh, hiding problems doesn't make them go away. Right. <laughs> Whenever I do a meet the media session with federal employees, and I always say, you're better to get in front of the problem than be behind it. Because yes. if you're, if, especially when it comes to the media, if you're behind it, you're going to get a worse story than if you're in front of it. So thank you for letting me get on my soapbox a little bit. And, Can I and add one thing that. to that? Of course, too. please. I think the other piece is we we all in, in government in any organization we we want to demonstrate that we can fix and solve these problems. So oftentimes it's not, you know, an ill intent of sort of not sharing the problem, but we think, well, I want to fix it before I raise it. But the velocity at which some of these problems can turn into crises, you know, that means if you don't share and you aren't getting help from other parts of the organization, then that problem can quickly escalate into a crisis that impacts the entire organization. So that's kind of the other benefit that raising risk can have is it can get attention from other parts of your organization that can then provide assistance and help you. But but managers and leaders then have to be receptive to hearing those problems and hearing those risks and thanking people for bringing it up and then saying, okay, let's work together on figuring out a way to, to address that. And many times when you talk about these risk problems, it's never just one person. You as the chief risk officer can't solve the problem by yourself or even ever. What you can do is bring the framework, bring sure. the understanding and say, oh, well, I talked to this mission unit, and they have a very similar challenge as this mission unit. Let me yes. bring you both together, and we can solve it together. I mean, that's really the key of your role. I mean, we've a lot of the, we've seen a lot of the C suites, the CIO, the CAO, the CFO, the CDO, yes. the CRO now. Yeah. But that's really the key of any of those C positions. Yeah, and that is really, I think, one of the great assets or benefits of ERM as well is that by bringing all of these parts of the organization together, I can't tell you how many times when I was at IRS and even now where you bring the different parts of the organization together and talk about kind of what are your risks and what are you dealing with. And and one organization will share something and, and they'll realize that they're not alone. Somebody else has already experienced this and here's what they've done to address it. Or there are other organiza- you know, other parts of the organization that are having the same challenge. And you know what? ERM can help. So we can bring together the people. We can provide the, provide the tools. We can provide the resource. Um, and together, um, you know, as an agency or as an organization, we can, you know, try to help bring some attention and, and assistance to addressing and resolving those risks. Tom, I appreciate the fact you've been talking a lot about the FRITB. Uh, I appreciate the fact you've been talking a lot about the FRTIB. I want to shift gears maybe a little bit because you also kind of have a different hat. Uh, you also work with uh, a firm, the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management. Uh, I always like to say that because there's the other firm that deals with IT. Oh, yes, exactly. Uh, there's two things going on with a firm coming up. You have a, a current survey that's out there to the public. At the same time, or at least to the federal fe- workforce, federal workforce yes. public. Yep. And then you also have a conference coming up, and then you also have some training that's happening with Treasury. So there's a lot to talk to there. So let me ask you to switch hats for me uh, for a second and, and talk a little bit about Affirm and what's going on with that organization. Uh, a lot of what we've talked about today with uh, the TSP folks, 
applies directly to the, the broader community, I imagine. Yeah. So the nice thing about Affirm is that it's a resource for the federal community, um, our ERM practitioners, our managers, anybody really that's got a role or wants to know more or learn more about managing risk and addressing risk in the federal sector can go to Affirm for help. And I think that, you know, some of the resources, we're, we're sharing best practice. We bring, you know, the networks together. Uh, we're bringing, to, you know, I think together additional uh, capabilities that can support various organizations. What we've seen is that uh, Treasury has been hosting a community of practice that's got more than 60 agencies that participate. You know, we have several hundred people that are part of the community of practice. So we've got really good reach um, and an ability, again, to bring in speakers and share successes and then talk about, you know, things maybe that didn't quite work so well and what were some of the lessons learned. Um, and so one of the ways in which we, we get a sense of how things are going in the federal government is through the annual survey that you mentioned, and that's out right now for, you know, federal government employees to take. And what's really helpful about that survey is, again, it's probably the only survey that gives us a sense of how ERM is doing across government overall. And then it gives us insights into what are some of the key factors that contribute to or may have an affiliate or association with um, greater success or greater maturity on ERM within federal agencies. And maybe two specific examples that we've gleaned from prior surveys is that, and probably not surprising, but those agencies that have great, who've made greater progress in implementing ERM usually have a chief risk officer or a director of enterprise risk management who's leading that effort. And then the other piece is that agencies that have also made greater progress typically have included some sort of performance expectations or commitments in their performance plans for managers and executives around implementing or practicing uh, risk management. So for those organizations that might be asking themselves, you know, we're, we're kind of at a plateau or maybe we're struggling to take ERM to the next level, the nice thing about the survey is it can give you some tips about steps you can take to, to grow your program. We will make sure we link to the Affirm website so they can find the survey yep. right there on federalnewsnetwork.com to make it easy on folks as well. Each year the survey comes out. It, I always enjoy it because I think a good good survey tell, it gives me good fodder to talk about, talk to you and, and your colleagues at Affirm about. Did anything necessarily change this year based on the survey? Was there anything that you said, we're going to ask this question differently or maybe a new question or a new section only reason I bring it up is because sometimes, as you know, we just talked about risks change, risk sure. appetite change, uh, approaches, generally speaking, to, okay, we're going to mitigate like, cyber is always big. We know that from a CIO survey. But with CIOs, you also see sometimes network infrastructure all of a sudden becomes the hot topic one year, and then the next year it's business intelligence or something like that. Any, anything like that? Well, so, you know, certainly one of the values of surveys, if you're having consistency, is that you're able to look from year to year sort of what's changed and what's not. So I don't think there's been any major um, changes to the survey itself. But what isn't insightful is that there's some pretty broad categories in some of the questions, particularly when it gets to what are the top risk agencies are addressing, where are they putting their most resources, what's of most concern today, what's the most concern three years out and five years out. And I'd say that's um, where we get, I think, some of the most interesting insights is to be able to see how does what agencies are saying are their most critical risks today – how does that compare to what we saw last year or a couple of years ago? And then on the sort of looking forward aspect of it is, what are what are our what's our federal community saying is the risk they're most concerned about um, down the road? 
And then that also can help inform, you know, where, where a firm is providing assistance and resources and then certainly help agencies as they're trying to think about how do we get a handle on and begin thinking about some of those emerging risks. Once the survey closes, you look at the results, then it gets uh, publicly released at the upcoming Affirm Summit. That's, yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about the summit and what folks can expect there? Again, we want folks to understand that this is not just about signing up to sign up, but sure. really there's an educational opportunity here because, again, risk management is cuts across everything. Absolutely. Yeah, and the summit, we've been doing this now, I guess, 15, 16 years. I can't remember now how long we've been doing the annual summit. And the nice thing is we get, you know, four or 500 people every year that come out participating in a hybrid environment. We bring together, you know, practitioners from the federal level, but also from other governments, state and local. We've had uh, experts from, you know, uh, governments in other countries. And then, of course, we bring in folks from private sector because we're all, I think, in this together. And we all, you know, have, I think, some some insights that we can share and be able to glean kind of where might we be able to apply that within our own organizations. Another key benefit is that networking Building, building your network, connecting up with experts and other organizations, and really being able to work together um, in, in enhancing the practice of ERM for the federal government overall. But we have a number of plenary speakers, breakout sessions, you know, the networking opportunities. And maybe breaking news for today is that a firm has confirmed that Danny Werfel, the IRS commissioner, is going to be one of the keynote speakers. And we're really thrilled and excited that he's going to be able to speak and sort of share his experience and his insight um, into how ERM can help organizations. And if I can just make a note real quickly, um, it was Commissioner Werfel who, when he was first at IRS, introduced ERM to the organization back in 2013. And so now he's back as commissioner you know, in, a, in the, his newest capacity. And I think it'll be interesting to hear his insights 10 years on um, as to how ERM has helped the agency and how it can help the agency going forward. And he also was the former OMB controller, so it's a, a different hat he wore there, too. So he brings that perspective, too, from more of a government-wide OMB perspective. So thank you for sharing that. It's good to sure. hear, Danny. It's, he's always a good speaker, always always obviously worthwhile. The conference is coming up. Again, we'll link to that as well and make, make folks easy to find so they can sign up. Uh, it's, uh, I guess the question is going to be, do I have to pay for this? Is this free <laughs> to feds? No, there is a registration fee because it does cost money to put on conferences and to find space and to you know give folks food and coffee and all that. So, But it's a really reasonable rate. It's going to be at the end of November, and there's more information on the Affirm website at affirm.org. Um, and we really encourage you know our folks throughout the federal community. Certainly, we've, ex- we've branched out, too, to state and local. Um, so we're trying to bring in, you know, folks at that level. As I mentioned, we get participation as well from the public or private sector and, and other organizations. So the the net is wide in terms of folks having the opportunity to participate and join us. All right. Well, thank you for that. Because again, we don't want we want to make sure folks aren't surprised by anything. Well, Tom didn't say I had to pay for this. <laughs> right, yes. we got, a, got it up front. Yeah, we want to mitigate that risk. Right. <laughs> exactly. See? See, I'm always thinking. Yes. You mentioned the Treasury uh, effort with the community practice. Oh, yeah. There's also the, there's some training and collaboration going with the Treasury Executive Institute uh, to train federal employees around enterprise risk management. Can you just talk a little bit about that effort, what goals, and, and how that's been working? And can, can I sign up? Not me personally, but a federal employee can sure. sign up. How does it work? Yeah. So one of the priorities that a firm had this year is to try to expand, again, this awareness and knowledge of ERM its benefits and how it works beyond just our risk community, our risk practitioners, but, you know, broaden the reach to more managers and executives across government. And we really appreciated um, the opportunity to work with the Treasury Executive Institute to help, you know, expand kind of that knowledge of ERM across uh, government. So uh, 
the Treasury Executive Institute provides, you know, really superb training and development resources to, of course, the Treasury Department, the bureaus, legacy treasury components, and then several dozen other agencies that have chosen to make, you know, the TEI resources available to their senior managers and leaders. So typically it's the grade 14, 15, and SES who um, participate in the, the, tra- the TEI offerings. So our opportunity to work with them and to, to develop kind of an ERM curriculum, which we offered this summer, you know, we had 75 to 100 folks that participated in each of the sessions that we delivered. And again, it's an opportunity to get to part of the federal sector that we don't always touch through maybe the summit or some of our, our traditional firm offerings. So again, great opportunity to expand our reach. And if listeners, you know, their agencies are part of the TEI network, they should keep an eye out on the program listing for some of our future events. So, so this was not necessarily a set of classes on its own, or is this kind of built into the broader curriculum that TEI offers? They How, offer a variety of different tracks, and they bring in speakers and authors, you know, books and uh, just topics of interest, you know, to the federal workforce. And so risk, of course, is one that they quickly saw was a value add. So we added it into, I think, their overall program portfolio, but there was kind of a track on ERM that, um, you know, if folks wanted to, you know, go to more than one, <laughs> they could pinpoint those. Uh, but it's kind of added to their overall program portfolio. And tagging back to something you said earlier, just so can, some of the survey results showed you that when you have a chief risk officer or director of enterprise risk management, those agencies seem to be more mature, advance this concept in the frameworks. And getting the GS-14s, 15s, and SES on board is part of that effort. Yeah. Hey, we don't have one, or hey, our risk chief risk officer really is 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 Tom, but he also wears three other hats. Sure. And we maybe we need to remove some of those hats. So getting those folks to really understand why there's benefits is, is that kind of the goal, the, the education of of a group that maybe yes. needs a little more attention. Yes. Well, again, it's because in order for risk management to work in any organization, everybody has to have a role. Everybody needs to be attuned to risk. And they also need to understand or be aware of kind of what do I do if I identify risk? You know, is there some place to go? Is there somebody that can help? Um, and kind of, you know, what are, the, what are some of the tools that are available to me to help get a handle on kind of what are the, the key risks in my organization and how might I raise these and get assistance from other parts of the organization? So that's kind of the intent of this is why is this important? Why are organizations focusing on risk? What can I do to help? How can I help my agency, you know, get ahead of, of risk? Um, and what are some of the steps and, and concrete actions I should be taking in my organization? But, you know, at the end of the day, when we're mitigating risk, we often have to rely on folks throughout the organization uh, to work together and partner with us in coming up with those strategies, those tactics, and those techniques that are going to help us minimize kind of risk exposure and you know, hopefully reduce the risk likelihood. And that topic we talked about earlier is to boost resiliency. Everybody's got a role in helping their agencies be more resilient uh, to risk. This may tag back to a lot of what we've been talking about during our conversation, which I appreciate all your, your time today. Is there one or two things you'd point to that says, here's a common mistake, common obstacle, a common challenge that agencies have or maybe not as far advanced in risk management as others Beyond the one you've highlighted, which is, I think, the lack lack of or a empowered CRO slash director, is there another one that, you, as you've talked to these GS-14s, 15s, and SES, you say, hey, if there's one thing or two things you could do, here it is? Yeah, I think the one of the biggest challenges that we face, and it's probably not unique to the federal sector, 
uh, but it can come to sort of minimizing the consequences if a risk should manifest and sort of downplaying what the impact could be or also maybe becoming sort of overconfident um, or complacent because, well, something nothing has happened here. So since it hasn't happened, maybe we can reduce the controls that we've got in place. Maybe we can lessen the monitoring. And I get it because we're resource constrained. So we're always trying to, you know, look at where can we shift resources. But what we've what we've often seen too often is that when we look at sort of some of the underlying causes behind crises that have happened in government and other sectors, you can often trace that back to somebody that discounted a risk. We've reduced controls. You know, we've, we've re- relaxed oversight or we kind of dismissed the risk and said, ah, you know, again, this hasn't happened. So not something we need to be worried about. Those are the areas and those are the times where probably your antenna need to go up and say, we actually probably need to be putting more attention uh, here to avoid kind of that that risk manifestation. Tom, if you're okay with this, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is there anything when you look back over your time, whether at the FRTIB or TS or IRS or yeah. wherever, where that's maybe happened? Uh, the IRS flood just comes to mind. I mean, that's not <laughs> fair to them. Uh, we're not want to blame them to say, well, they put their servers on the floor instead of on a pallet, you know, six inches high, and then that created problems. But is there any time where maybe the, the eye got taken off the ball and then without calling anybody out, anything that comes to mind? Well, the, just the flood happened before ERM was in place, but I do remember that. And, of course, you know, um, everybody had to move out of that building and we kind of crammed into to other space. But, you know, I think we weren't the only building downtown that got impacted by that. Um, you know, I think just sometimes we, we can be so focused on the operational risks that we maybe don't always step back and think about reputational risk and strategic risk and think about specifically how some of the decisions we're making could be perceived or received by our key stakeholders, right? So how might some of the actions we're taking um, be received, perceived by key stakeholders, particularly the Hill? For, for, yeah, well. so, so that's where I think organizations – and that's where not just IRS or FRTIB but – I think everybody in the federal community that's been practicing risk has been able to be a bit more aware of sort of things like reputational impact. And and the nice thing about the risk process is it it informs decision making. So if you have that uh, the audit oversight um, or somebody coming in to say, did you consider this? You made this decision, you know, but did you think about these risks? We can at least then point to a process or hopefully documentation and say yes. Here's what we considered, but maybe just expanding our view of the types of risks that we as leaders and federal agencies need to be attuned to. You bring up reputational risk, and that led me right down the path to customer experience, user experience. Is that seeping into the ERM world a lot differently because of the push, whether from the Biden administration with the executive order or just this push from technology? Oh, what's the user want? We have DevSecOps and Agile and iterative development that helps the user. There's always risks to that too. Is, sure. is that been is that a conversation you all are having more and more? Yeah, well, I think we sort of touched on a little bit. The other nice thing about ERM and risk management is it it does help organizations have those trade off conversations because again, if we're going to be um, shoring up our defenses in one area, that could have an impact in another area. It could impact the customer experience. So we want to understand kind of what are those you know what are the impacts. And then what can we do to mitigate or lessen? So does that mean we need to do more outreach? We need to enhance our communication. We need to figure out, you know, what some other alternatives are. 
Um, and that's, I think, again, where we can have some value from ERM by bringing those parties together, having those conversations in a transparent manner, and then really thinking through consequences, both upstream and downstream, again, um, around some of our risk decisions. Tom, in the last few minutes we have together, uh, you mentioned a firm in the survey. You sure. mentioned the, the the training with Treasury. You mentioned the, the summit that's coming. Yep. When you look out for a firm or, or even just in if your other hat at the FRTIB, what are some of those big areas you're focused on over the next you know, 6, 12 months or so? If you want to start with a firm, what are some of the things you, in 2024 you, you all hope to accomplish or work on or, or, or any new initiatives? And then maybe we'll put the other hat on too. Sure. Well – as you, I think you maybe touched on this a little bit. In order for ERM to really be successful in government, we need a whole of government approach and whole of government support. So I think a firm has really been trying to look at ways to get some additional assistance and, and, and championing from, from OMB, from the administration, from GAO, from the Hill. They do all have a role in encouraging and requiring and promoting the practice of, of enterprise risk management across the government. And when they're coming out with new initiatives or PMA or, you know, new requirements and expectations, to always be looking at how do we factor in kind of that risk component. So I think that's an area where a firm has been focused um, is how do we continue to advocate and advance sort of that whole government approach to, to enterprise risk management. Um, and then maybe I think just back to, you know, my, my role at FRTIB, again, I think it's just, you know, again, continuing to build our framework to mature our program to expand kind of that view of, of risk, having those risk appetite conversations and, again, pulling in kind of the views and, and considerations of our stakeholders as well um, into that process. And, again, really just trying to stay on top of those most critical risks to the organization so at the end of the day our participants can have confidence um, in the security and, and the overall long-term um, safety of, of their investments. And I know you can't comment on this, but I'll just throw it out there. If there was an OMB controller, that would be also very nice as a helpful <laughs> right. uh, thing yes. to do. Certainly. But I know that's, uh, that's, that's a tough OMB has been really helpful, but you're right. Having, as we talked about before, that survey, if you can get – if you have that point person, they're going to help things move along faster. And I think that's where if the, if the controller position was filled at OMB, I think that would be helping us a bit more in kind of moving ERM because – you know, otherwise, you know, folks' time just gets spread across too many different things, and I get that. But we could certainly benefit um, not just for ERM but a no- number of other areas from having that position filled. There's no controller. There's no federal procurement policy administrator. There's a lot of these big positions that have bully pulpits that would help ch- make some changes in, in the right direction. Not, not to take away from the folks who are in those roles today. Right. They're doing a super job, but but there is a difference to have a Senate-confirmed, presidentially-appointed I think but you know, know the there's draw. an opportunity, I think, for the federal government to be thinking about whether or not a federal chief risk officer type position could be helpful because I think it could could draw some attention to those types of issues. And there are, you know, other other governments that have established kind of these head of risk profession positions. And maybe there's, you know, something for the U.S. to be thinking about. How could how could such a role perhaps help the U.S. government? Is there outside of a firm? Is there anything more formal like a chief risk officer council? Or anything like that, or it's, just, it's not quite there yet. No, we have, like I said, that informal community of practice that Treasury um, has been hosting, and they've been doing a great job. And that kind of brings together the risk uh, practitioners and professionals across the government. Um, so that's kind of what we've been using to date, and that's been pretty effective. But I think having something a bit more formal might, you know, give us a bit more authority or capability, perhaps, to to focus on and draw attention to some of those more significant government wide risks. 
Well, the hope is that that could be an offering offering as uh, OMB just created a new grants management council. They didn't call it a financial assistance council, but that's a good step in the direction because, as we know, grants, they spend, government spends more on grants than they do in procurement. So, uh, hence the yes. idea of bringing people together. Well, so, and that's an area, too, where ERM has been uh, focusing as well as risks around the grants process. And, and of course, um, you know, lots of risk in that process, particularly because there's money involved, right? <laughs> j- just a little bit of money, yes. Uh, Tom, I very much appreciated your time. This has been a great conversation. Uh, so let me thank my guest. Uh, Tom Brandt is the Chief Risk Officer at the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board, the FRTIB. Tom, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.